pray. Lord, we do thank you once again for the opportunity that we have today, Lord, to once again look and watch what's happening in that early church and, Lord, uh, get an idea of who you are. Lord, we see men and women affected in so many different ways and some trusting you, some not trusting you, some coming against you, some joining you. And Lord, I know that as we watch and look at that, it's got to impact our lives because we're just looking at life happening, whether it's this century or that century, and we're watching you be involved in the lives of individuals and that then should cause us to realize you want to be involved in our life and you're concerned about what's going on. So I do pray, God, that we would be just so encouraged by what we read and and it would strengthen our faith and strengthen our relationship with you. And God, that we would be those people who, just as we sang, that we know, Lord, that we have the victory in you, that we know that our enemy is going to run. So I pray again, Open up our hearts during this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, now, if you remember we left off, Peter has just been released from prison. James has been executed. Kind of crazy stuff going on in the church that we're, we're watching. Now today we're going to, and this is going to kind of end all of this stuff and, and uh, Jerusalem being the center. We're going to shift now directions as we start Acts. But we've we got to finish up here And here's the thing, we're going to look at a guy who is fighting against God. And it's kind of interesting what we've been looking at here, and then if you come on Thursday nights, what we're looking at there, and how they're dovetailing together. And listen, there's a lot of of, uh, 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 passages that we're looking at that men are trying to come against God and fight God. Now here's what I think. When I read about that, I'm thinking, these guys should read their Bibles. Because as I read my Bible, they never win, do they? And I'm thinking, man, if you just got a hold of the truth and find out you're not going to win, then you ought to just give up fighting now and not keep it up. Listen, I listed a few uh, biblically who did this. Pharaoh is kind of the first one that comes to my mind, right? Remember, Pharaoh goes, who's God that I should you know, obey him? And I think part of that was arrogance. But I think also part of that, because if you have a lot of gods, you're asking, who's that God, right? But listen, he lost big time, didn't he? And then you look at, you did, and as you go along and get into numbers, remember Sihon, the king of the Amorites, and Og, the king of Bashan in numbers? Remember, they're the ones that didn't want Israel to pass through, and they're going, you can't come this way. And God said, bet me. You know, and you might, might want to talk to those two. And then, hey, in Judges, you have 31 different kings who lost the battle fighting against God. And then kind of my favorite, Goliath. Right? Goliath comes out, and I love when David faces him, and David says, hey, you haven't insulted me or come against me. You've insulted the living God and come against the living God, right? Who won that battle? God, every time. So, And then, and then right now in, in Kings, where we're at on, on Thursday nights, we have Sennacherib, and you've got to go read that. I'm not going to tell you where the chapter is, so just read all the First and Second Kings and you'll find it. And that's, listen, that's when, man, that's when he comes, and he comes against God, and I love Hezekiah, you know, lays out the letter before God and says, God, here, this is your problem. And God takes care of it, doesn't he? And then you have the, you know, some of the more current or semi-current, you have like Voltaire. Voltaire's the one who said, 
This thing, this Bible, this thing, Christianity, won't even last a hundred years. Do you know what happened? They started printing the Bible in Voltaire's house to distribute it a hundred years later. Hmm. You don't want to fight against God, right? You got Hemingway, you got Sinclair Lewis, these, these guys who mocked and made fun of Bible. Read the end of their lives. So now we come to another one, Herod. Herod has decided he's going to stop the church and he's going to come against God. And Herod has made a decision. He's beheaded James. He's arrested Peter. Now Peter's out of prison. That hasn't boded well for him. But as you think about him, remember, remember he's part Jew and he's trying to win the Jewish population to his side. That's why he's doing what he's doing. Listen, I don't think he, it was so much of he woke up one day and hated the church. I think he woke up one day and said, I've got to get these Jews on my side, so I'm going to help them out. He beheads James, arrests Peter, thinks he's got it made. Now, he doesn't know it yet, but we know Peter escaped, right? So we followed that, and Peter shows up at the house. The people at the house who were praying for him were shocked that he got there, even though they're praying that he would get there, right? They're freaking out a little bit. So we're going to, listen, and then Peter said, listen, Peter said, I'm going to go to another place, right? We kind of left off there. Peter says, you guys, listen, go tell James, and I'm going to go to another place. And as I said last week, people want to know where that other place was. I can tell you exactly where it was. Another place. He didn't tell us. He went to this place. So now, listen, that whole, sh that whole scene shifts, and now we come back, the camera pans back, and we go into the prison Remember, Peter's gone. Peter's really happy. Now I think it's kind of morning time. And look at, look at verse 18. It says, Then as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers about what had become of Peter. Really, Luke? No small stir? He's kind of... Listen, Luke's a little bit sarcastic. I like that. Listen... Man, these guys are freaking out. Can you imagine being a Roman soldier and you're chained to a guy, you're handcuffed to a guy, and everything was fine, and then all of a sudden, I don't know if they went to sleep, I don't know if they just like dazed out, I don't know what happened, but now Peter's gone, and you look down at the handcuff, and he's not there. That would freak you out a little bit, wouldn't you? I don't remember him leaving. I didn't even get hit in the head. I don't remember anything. And they're like, I think the two guys looked at each other and thought, where was the guy that was in between us? What happened to him? So I believe they start searching and looking, right? And they go to the guards right outside that place, and they're going, ain't here. And then they go, remember, they went past the second set of guards, it says. They went out to those guards, ain't here. Well, the gate's locked. How did he get out of here? They didn't know about the automatic gate opener, but listen... That's called an angel. Where's Pete? Where did he go? Can you imagine how freaked out they would be? Especially knowing what the law was, the rule. If you're a Roman soldier and you're guarding somebody and they escape or disappear, then you as the soldier in charge over them will suffer whatever punishment they were going to suffer. What was it that Herod was going to do to Peter that morning? He's going to execute him. That would, like, that would like send panic through your body, wouldn't it? You would be freaking out. So, no small stirs, a little bit of an understatement, right? 
And Luke does that throughout, throughout the book of Acts. Listen, no small stir. These guys had to be absolutely freaking out. Where on earth did he go? You know they looked every place. Because I'm thinking, if, if I were them, here's what I'd be thinking. He's got to be hiding someplace in here. Right? These gates don't just open by themselves. Where'd he go? So they're looking all over. They're freaking out a little bit. And then, listen, verse 19, but when Herod had searched for him and not found him, he examined the guards. Now let's stop there. We're going to find out what's going to happen. But let's stop there for a moment. Herod brings these guards in. Remember there were 16 of them. Where is he? What'd you do with him? I don't know where he is, man. We searched everywhere. We looked every place. We can't find him. We don't know what happened. Was he chained to you guys? Did you do the whole maximum security thing I told you to do? He was chained. Yeah, he was chained right between us. Well, how'd he get away? I don't know. I don't know what happened. Are you guys in on this, man? Is this some kind of plot against me? Wouldn't you think that as a king? Come on. Are you guys plotting against me? You guys helped him escape and something happened. And, and you know, you'd be, a little bit, you'd be a little bit irate, wouldn't you? Now, all of this happened a few years prior to this, kind of the same, a little bit different, but go to Matthew 28. I just want to read so we kind of get an idea of what was happening with the guards there. In Matthew 28, we're going to pick it up in verse 9, but this is after Jesus rose from the dead. Remember, an angel shows up, bounces the stone out of the, out of the little thing it's in, opens it up. Uh, some people have come, come and gone, right? Mary's been there. Peter's, Peter and John have been there. They, they've, they've come and gone. And then in verse 9 it says, And as they went to tell His disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice! So they came and held Him by His feet, or by the feet, and worshipped Him. Then Jesus said, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see Me. So listen, He says, Hey, you guys, you need to meet Me in Galilee, right? Then, now check this out, now, while they were going, behold, some of the guards came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. So that, listen, these guards weren't put there by Roman authority, these guards were put there by the Jewish high priest. You know what always blows my mind about the whole resurrection thing? We're getting ready to celebrate it. It's my favorite time of year. But what absolutely is, is to me a little bit confusing is the disciples, the apostles, whom Jesus told specifically on three different occasions that He would raise from the dead, never believed He raised from the dead. Yet, when they, when they put him in a tomb, they're freaking out, they're mourning, they're all upset. They didn't, have, they didn't have faith in the resurrection. Yet, the Pharisees and the chief priests, they believed he was going to raise from the dead, so they stuck a bunch of guards there so that he couldn't get out. That always cracks me up, huh? Who are you guarding, dead guy? Why are you guarding a dead guy? I don't know, man. We're like afraid he's going to come out. So they're guarding him, and lo and behold, now here's the thing, I don't think it was as confusing for them because they saw the bright light, they knew the stone moved, they're a little bit dazed about it, but listen, what they know is everybody who went in there said the tomb's empty. Oh no. So they go tell the high priest, we don't know what happened. An angel came along, bounced that rock out of there, we went in, and he's not there. So the chief priest, look at the plan, 
Verse 12, when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers saying, tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. Now one thing a Roman soldier would never do is sleep when he's on guard duty. That's, you just don't do that. You just don't do that in any army. If you're in a position where you're guarding, you don't sleep. I, that was one thing I remembered from the army. So one thing I got. So listen, man, you're going to go, you're going to go tell these guys, I fell asleep. I fell asleep. I was supposed to be doing this and I slept. Yeah, we'll pay you a lot of money to do that. Okay, well, you know, it's money. And then, listen, and then they say, hey, if there's any problems, we'll smooth it over, right? Verse 14, if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. So they took the money and did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly, it was, is commonly reported among the Jews to this day. So they're the ones that started the rumor, these soldiers, that Jesus never really raised from the dead. And now we know why they started it, right? Now listen, I just go there to let you know the seriousness of the guards. Listen, they're guarding something. They're there. Now these guys, these guys, they kind of quote, got away with it because the high priests are covering them. Go back to our guys, our 16 guys in the book of Acts. And in, again, verse 19, but when Herod searched for him and not found him, he examined the guards and commanded that they should be put to death. Wow. Man, that had to be intense, didn't it? I mean, that had to be, that had to be kind of a crazy, crazy morning in Jerusalem. Because I don't think, listen, I don't think this went quietly along. You're executing 16 men. 16 Roman soldiers who are under Herod. That's all, kind of, that's all kind of weird, isn't it? When you start thinking about it and everything that's going down. So listen, I think there had to be, I think there had to be, man, talk about it, what's happening. And I think there was some intense stress on the leaders, the politicians of the day. Herod being the main one. So what does Herod do? He's had a bad, bad day. Had a little bit of success, right, with beheading James. No success with Peter. Now he's just executed some guards. So what does he do? Look at the end of verse 19. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. Here's what, he, here's what I think Herod's thinking. i got to get out of Jerusalem, man. Crazy stuff happens in Jerusalem. And I'm going to go down to Caesarea. Those of you who have been to Israel or those who are going to go to Israel, most beautiful, I think one of my favorite places in, in, in uh, Israel, man, it's right on the coast. You got, and, and today when you go there, there's ruins. There's that big theater that's there. Gorgeous place. He's going down to his village. He's just going to go like, he's going to go chill, right? On the beach. He's going to go take it easy. Trying to get away from everything and trying to relax a bit. <laughs> God has another plan for him. So as he goes down to Caesarea and plans to chill out, listen, verse 20, now Herod had been very angry with the people of, uh, of uh, Tyre and Sidon. As I read my Bible, are you ever, do you ever read your Bible and you're reading along and you're going in a direction and you're kind of marching along and then all of a sudden there's like a turn, there's like a, like, why are we reading about Tyre and Sidon all of a sudden? I thought this was something about Peter and the church and what's going on. Now all of a sudden, I don't care if Herod's angry with Tyre and Sidon. doesn't make any difference to me, but it might to the people of Tyre and Sidon. 
And all of a sudden, he introduces them. Now, here's the backstory. We've got to understand, Tyre and Sidon were major players in Israel for centuries. We might even say for millenniums. Do you remember when Solomon went to build the temple and he needed some lumber? Remember who he made a deal with? Hiram, the king of Tyre and Sidon. And he made a deal with him and he says, hey, you know what, in Israel, all we can grow is wheat and corn and crops and you guys grow trees up there really nice. We can't grow trees down here. So how about you ship us some of your trees so that we can use them for lumber and I'll ship you up some grain because you don't grow grain well where you're at and we'll just make a deal. I'll supply food for you. You supply materials for us. And it worked out really well. Listen, in, in Solomon's day, I love reading that story because it's this man Hiram took those logs and he just like tied them all together, made a big raft, floated it down in, in a, not on a river but on a coastal area from Tyre because it's on the coast and got all the way down to Joppa. At Joppa, they disassembled them, carried them all to Jerusalem to build the temple. Kind of a cool thing when you look at that whole project. But here's the point. For centuries, ever since Solomon, Tyre and Sidon have been dependent on Israel for food, for grain. It's a bad, bad place to become a country dependent on another country almost completely for your food supply. But that's what was going on. Now, I don't know why Herod got mad at him. Who knows? Herod was a whack job, so no telling. You know, so he's mad at him. He cuts off their food supply. Hey, we're not going to send you any more food. How do you like that? Politics hasn't changed much, has it? Isn't it interesting? There's same old, same old stuff going on. Whether you're in the first century, 21st century, whether you're back at Solomon's Day, man, it's all just people making deals, people doing stuff, people in high-level places. So now listen, now the people of Tyre and Sidon, they can't, they can't get close to, they, can't, they want to talk to Herod, but he's going, no, I don't even want to talk to you guys. I don't even like you guys. So you're just cut off. So they find a way, like politicians do, check out, the rest of that, verse 20, but they came to him with one accord, having made Blastus, the king's personal aide, their friend. Wow. So they go, listen, they go to one of his main cabinet guys, right? The guy closest to him. They go, hey, Blastus, I don't know what they told him. They probably bribed him or something. We've got we to gotta get close to him, man. We've got to tell him what's going on. He's got to know we're really sorry. So can't you just like do something? Can't you make something happen so that we can make this deal so we can get our food back? Can't you, kind of, can't you see all that going on and high-level negotiations and stuff happening? And listen, so, so listen, they got this and they asked in, in, the, in the middle of this, so they, they got this audience and they asked for peace because their country was supplied with food by the king's country. So here's the thing, man. Number one, I don't think you want to get obligated to somebody else as a nation to do that. Number two, I think it would be better to go to the king of kings than to the king of that nation. What did the church do when Peter got arrested? It's not a hard question. They prayed, right? Thank you. Somebody was here last week. Church prayed, right? Hey, Peter gets arrested. What does the church do? They go to the king of kings, right? And they get before him and they call out to the Lord. What does Tyre and Sidon do when they get in trouble? They start bribing. They start making deals. They're getting together. So listen, now they're together. And now listen, now they have an audience with the king. And Herod, 
Herod's a piece of work. Herod's not just going to... Listen, he's not just going to do an audience and come out. If Herod is going to meet with you, it's going to be a show. Now, some people say there was other stuff going on at this time. There very well may have been. But Luke's focus is Herod and what's up with Herod. So notice in verse 21, this is kind of crazy. He says it really short. He says, On a set day, Herod Herod arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne, and gave an oration to them. There's another historian, Josephus. Josephus is interesting to read. You know, a, a lot of people quote, I think, overquote Josephus. Something you have to know about Josephus. He was a traitor, which makes me kind of question a lot of what he does, right? He was a traitor against the Jews. He turned against the Jews and went on Rome's side during the, 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 when, when Rome came to destroy the temple. So, uh, you know, when someone's a traitor, I got, I'm not going to take 100% of everything they say at value. I'm going I'm to examine it and look. Now, jo- but Josephus, in this instance, he records this incident. And Josephus says that as Herod came out, here, Luke is pretty brief, right? He had on his royal, his royal threads. Josephus tells us that his royal threads were all silver. They were sweet. I mean, I don't know if someone took silver and, you know, stranded it and wove it together or whatever it was. But he says, man, it was so nice that Herod would spend a lot of time in front of the mirror, joke, looking at how nice his threads are. When he comes out, listen, and those of you who have been there, you remember that theater that's there in, in Caesarea? I'm kind of visioning him coming out in that. Later on, his son comes out in that same theater and, uh, and blows it. But listen, Herod comes out and it says the son like hit those, those royal robes, everything he had on. And when the son hit it, woo, glory, right? He's like shining. And people are going, man, look, he's shining. And they're pretty, they're pretty taken back by it. This guy got glow going on. And look at him. And then he gives this, Oriation, that's a fine speech. And people are going, man. And what do they, and remember, who's there? These are people who want to find favor with them. What are you going to do if you want to find favor with somebody? You're going to flatter them, right? So here he is. Listen, this is, this is great. So here he is. He comes out and gave an oration, verse 22, and the people kept shouting, the voice of a God, the voice of a God. Ay, 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 ay. That's not a good thing to hear unless you're egotistical, unless you're narcissistic, which Herod had all of those traits. And he's kind of digging it. He's kind of liking that people think he's God. And so he's kind of absorbing it a little bit. And he's going, yeah, I guess I am kind of like a God because I'm over you. And the people are shouting it. I don't think they're shouting it. Maybe the whole glow thing and the great speech, maybe it got him a little bit. But I think they're mostly shouting it because they want to find favor with him. They want to get food from him. And they're going to flatter him. Man, this is like politics at its highest, right? But my Bible tells me that's not a good idea to take that kind of adoration, right? In Isaiah, listen to what Isaiah says. Isaiah says, listen, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. It's not a good thing. If somebody calls you God, you might want to like tell them to dial it back a little bit. You might want to inform them you're not a God 
and you don't want to be worshipped, you don't want to be praised, you don't want to do that thing. And I think that goes, listen, I think we have to be careful. We're living in a generation and a time where people, I, I think some people in pulpits are trying to be rock stars and trying to do things. And they're trying to elevate themselves. And, and it's tough. Listen, we live in a world of social media. We live in a world of sound bites. We live in a, a world where there's all flash. And people start doing that. And some people like start liking it and digging it. And again, my Bible says it's not a good idea. In Proverbs 16, this is a good one to memorize. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a great fall. Wow. If somebody gives you a compliment, you can receive a compliment and you can do it just kind. I, I, get, I get uptight when you give someone a compliment and they're going, oh, no, 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 don't, don't do that. I'm going, oh, shut up. like such false humility oh I'm just dirt no you don't think you're dirt but listen if someone gives you a compliment you can take a compliment and then and then you know I think there, there's kind of a thing like when people give you criticism you got to weigh what they say and if there's some valid stuff you got to deal with it in your in your character and work through it and go right and it, what's not what's not valid you dump if someone gives you a compliment it's better just to dump the whole thing after they give it to you, right? Don't, don't start believing it. When we start believing it is when we get into trouble. And Herod is believing it. I remember, when I think of this verse, I remember several years ago, we were building this building. We were kind of going along and cruising pretty good. And I went and taught up at Calvary Chapel, Tucson. And, and they had started a building project about a year before we started our building project. And we were catching them. Yeah, we were catching up. And, and listen... They showed a video, the, the, the weekend I was teaching, they showed a video of, of, of what was going on inside and stuff and, you know, how they were coming along. And so I get up, prideful, and I go, wow, we started a year after you guys and we're further than that. That Tuesday morning, that back wall blew down. Yeah. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a great fall. Now, I only did what I did because Robert and I are close friends and I could do it, so he calls me and quotes that verse to me. <laughs> Thank you, Robert. We have to be careful, don't we? Man, listen, it's so easy. It's so easy and we're tempted. And to me, it's kind of interesting. On Thursday nights, we're dealing with this same issue of pride and here we are, you know, Sunday, the weekend services, dealing with this same issue. I think it's something that we need to, you know, kind of get a hold of. So listen, Herod is like digging it. Yeah, I am. I'm liking this. And then, and then along comes God. Right? Verse 23, Then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him. Now here's what I like. That wording, an angel of the Lord struck him, is the same exact wording that is used earlier in this chapter when an angel of the Lord came and struck Peter on the side to wake him up. Remember that? We looked at that last week. Same exact words. I'm thinking this is kind of cool. An angel strikes some people and they just wake up and escape from prison. An angel strikes Herod. Oh, read the rest of that. And he was eaten by worms and died. Yuck. That's just a yuck thing, right? 
Now, Luke's kind of kind to us. Luke just says it. He's a doctor. So I think Luke could have gone into the details. Josephus does. He wasn't a doctor. And Josephus says it took him five days to die. Now, some people go, wait, Luke said immediately. No, Luke said immediately he was struck by the angel. Josephus says he had something like what we would call today tapeworms balled up inside of his intestines. And he suffered profusely before he died. He just like got that knot in his stomach and then, and then the worms came out. I don't know if the worms ate him from the inside out or the outside in. But it's a gross way to die, right? Hmm. Next time you fight against God, Christian, because we do, you might want to read that verse. Kind of commit that to memory. And now, now he's gone. Listen, now he's gone. Now check this out. Here's what I love. So how did we start out? James is dead, executed. Peter's arrested. And Herod's sort of victorious, isn't he, looking at it? And sometimes, listen, sometimes we're stuck in those things and we look at life that way and we're going, why is all of this happening? Well, there's the rest of the story, right? Now we go along. Now where are we at? Peter's free. Herod's dead. And the Word of God is victorious. Look at verse 24. But the Word of God grew and multiplied. Kind Kind of shakes people up when worms start eating people. Gets their attention, right? Now the Word of God is spread, grew, and multiplied through that region. Now, we've got to go back to two characters we've been looking at, verse 25. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry. Remember, these guys came down from Antioch. You remember a couple weeks ago, we were looking at it. They got together. They were in Antioch. The Barnabas, the church is exploding in Antioch. You guys, those of you who have been here for a few weeks, remember, man, that church is just growing and multiplying and things are going on. Barnabas left all of that, went and got Saul, brought Saul back. Then they're hearing there's going to be this famine in Judea. They take the money. Remember, they get the money and they sent... Barnabas and Saul down. Now Barnabas and Saul got there about the time all this is going down. That had to be a little bit exciting for them, right? They had to be going, whoa, man, we thought we were just bringing money. We got to see Peter get released. We got to see Herod getting eaten by worms. And we get to see the church expanding and growing. That's why you don't want to miss church. Look at all that's happening. So then, listen, now they're heading back. Now here's what I love. Look who's with them. They went back and they took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Well, they pick up somebody. You know, what, what blesses me about this is these are two guys, these are two powerhouses, if you will, in the church, right? Saul and Barnabas. They're heavy hitters. And I think they're in Jerusalem, and I think as they're taking that money and as they're watching everything going on, I think they're also, man, you guys should see what's going on. You think this is good, what's going on here? You should see what's going on in Antioch. Man, we can't even, listen, we can't even build churches fast enough to get all the people in a man. It's just exploding. People are getting saved. It's crazy. And I think here's John Mark going, wow. Kind of, wow. And here's what I love, man. Saul and Barnabas says, come on, man, come with us. Come on back. Come and watch what's, don't you love the idea that they embrace that young believer? Let's go. Come on, you can be part of this. 
And now he gets involved in ministry and, and hey, they're going to have some bumps and they're going to hit some rough spots. But now John Mark's involved. You know who John Mark is, don't you? He's the guy that wrote the book of Mark. I love that. Do you know there's one story in Mark that's not in any other, any other gospel? When he arrested Jesus and he came and got him, remember there's that story in Mark where Mark says, yeah, and then the soldiers grabbed a young guy and they grabbed a hold of him and he wiggled out of his clothes and ran away naked. Hmm. Who do you think that was? I think it was Mark. He's the only one that records it. He was there. He would have known. Listen, the other guys didn't record it. I think that's John Mark. And now, listen, we see him getting involved in ministry. So bottom line, bottom, bottom, bottom line is we need to watch the pride issue, right? We need to check and we need to, listen, all of us need to check that in our hearts. And we need to be men and women who we want to be servants of Jesus Christ and we want the gospel given out into the world and we need to check that. Then secondary, I think we need to be people who, you know what, maybe life is hard right now and maybe you're in the James and Peter mode in the beginning where, you, you know, James is dead, Peter's arrested, nothing looks good, looks like the church is going to be destroyed. And sometimes that's where some of us stop. But you know what? That's where we need to get started. And we need to get on our faces. We need to be praying. We need to be seeking the Lord. And we need to be drawing close to Him. And who knows what's going to happen? Don't you know that when the worms were eaten, Herod, that the church was singing, we're going to see our enemies run? we're going to be victorious because God always keeps His promises and He's always faithful. Let's stand up and pray.